the central candle that is there. Uh, let me thank the Adamovics family for lighting that candle and Caitlin for reading those wonderful verses. So uh, Andre and Grace and then Caitlin read those verses out of Luke chapter 2. In fact, uh, let's pick up again on that theme of uh, the angels sharing and saying with uh, to the shepherds. In fact, it's out of Luke chapter 2 verse 14. Um, I know you want to go there in your Bibles, but read it from the screen right now so we're all in the same version. Here's what the angels told to the shepherds. Read it with me. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know, we can also uh, say thank you to our children's choir. They have only been together for eight weeks. Uh, this is the very first time that they even sang in front of people. Um, so uh, Ava Dozier, who played the violin, is putting that choir together. Why don't we just put our hands together and say thank you to the Lord for allowing them to come. <clears throat> Just a great time to sing and celebrate, and certainly hope that you will be here tomorrow night, 5 o'clock services, for our candlelight service of just seeing this place aglow at the end of the service with the candles um, will be a wonderful, wonderful time. Um, the portion of Scripture that Caitlin read today is probably my favorite part of the Christmas story, and one of the reasons for it is because the angels came directly to the shepherds. The angels came directly to share with them, and what that really says for all of us is that anyone and everyone is now included in this good news of peace on earth. I mean, think about it. The shepherds were not like the wise men or the magi, being learned and educated. They, they weren't chosen like Mary and Joseph um, were chosen by God. The shepherds were just common folk. The shepherds, in fact, were even below the common people. I don't know if you realize this or not, but... Usually the shepherds were even excluded from the religious ceremonies and the temple. They could not go to the temple to worship because they were seen as unclean. They were seen as just working out in the fields and had not purified themselves. In fact, if you've been following along with our Advent readings, um, we had two different ones that we offered for you on the website materials, but one of them with the World Vision talked about that. They, they, they shared a little bit about how the shepherds in the New Testament were seen as common robbers or thieves. In the Old Testament, shepherding was a little bit more glorified. I mean, David was a shepherd. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were all shepherds. God is referred to kind of as the good shepherd in Psalm 23. But by the time the New Testament comes along here, the shepherds have had a bad reputation. And so we, we do a disservice of ourselves if we try and romanticize who the shepherds were. As I said, they were, they were thieves. And the common people would often say that they're out alone, on their own, unaccountable. And if things were missing, if produce was missing, if sheep were missing, they were pointing at the shepherds and they were often blamed for stealing that. In fact, people would say, don't buy anything from the shepherds. Because if you did, it would probably be stolen. And so the shepherds were kind of this underclass of sorts. Um, one philosopher wrote about the livelihood of them, of looking after sheep and goats. He said the job was mean and inglorious. They were lower class. They were rejected. Often some of them were even orphaned children or early teens. But think about this. It's to them 
that the angels gave the first word, saying, Go and see this one, this Christ child that has been born to you in Bethlehem. It's to them the announcing of the dawning of a new kingdom. By that, God is saying, I am not overlooking anyone. This peace that is now being offered is being offered to anyone and to everyone. He doesn't miss a single person. You know, we've unfortunately missed that message here in America. People maybe think that they're too good or too low or too bad um, for God's word to come to them. We, we've missed really the true meaning even at this Christmas season and the Christmas time. Um, in fact, let me if I can just do a show of hands. Um, I know this time is, is a great family time. It's time that we often get together and watch movies and share some fun times together. How many of you um, this year, in the last month, let's say, in the last month, how many of you watched the movie um, It's a Wonderful Life? How many of you actually watched that movie? How many of you have ever seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, so, so you've seen that. How many of you have ever seen um, uh, A Charlie Brown Christmas? Have you, you seen that? We just watched that with my kids last night. That was kind of fun to do. How many of you have seen this great classic Christmas uh, movie, Elf? Huh? Yeah, yeah, we like that one. How about um, A Christmas Story? How many of you have seen that one as well? Yeah, that, that's kind of an interesting one, set in the 1940s in Indiana. What's his name? Little, little Ralphie Parker uh, wants this Red Rider carbon action range model air rifle for Christmas, right? And everybody tells him he's going to shoot his eye out. He's going to shoot his eye out. And, you, you know, these movies are fun to watch, and I have nothing against them. They are fun. They bring the family together, um, kind of fun uh, times. But here's the problem, and here's the fear. Maybe not so much for many of you in here, but for many in America today who have seen even this, A Christmas Story. The fear is that A Christmas Story becomes the Christmas story. Let me say that again. A Christmas story becomes the Christmas story. Because that may be all that they even associate with Christmas. Maybe they never even hear about the name of Jesus. They never go to church at Christmas time. They never open their Bibles and see what Christmas is all about. And the Christmas story, unfortunately, gets overshadowed and overrun by things like a Christmas story. And it's where... <clears throat> Such things as our culture, where now we turn holiday, uh, holy days into just holidays, where we turn Jesus into this Santa-type person of a give-me, give-me, Jesus, would you give me type of an atmosphere and attitude that we may have at Christmas time. In fact, I don't know if you heard about this, but on the news this last week, I, I learned about this new tradition that people are having of not even having the Christ in the manger scene, the nativity scene, until Christmas Day. And, and you know, I, I, I kind of get it, I kind of understand, but some, some people in front of their homes are setting up the Mary and the Joseph figurine, the wise men, the shepherds, the angels, and all the rest, the camel and the cow and the, everything else that's there, but waiting on Jesus until Christmas Day. And, and like I said, I, I get the symbolism, but it's too close. It's way too close to this thought that we go through the whole entire Christmas season without the Christ child being a part of it. it it's celebrating Christmas without Christ. William Booth said it well when he said, and this was about 100, 120 years ago when he actually said this. Let me read this to you. William Booth, if you don't know who that is, the founder of Salvation Army, here's what he predicted. 
He said the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God. Have we seen that? Heaven without hell. This was 100 years ago, 120 years ago, when our society much more had the message of Christ in it. And he looked out in advance and said, this is where those kinds of things are going. That we will become, and watch out for this now, we will become a society that puts religion into a, a sense of a spiritual buffet where we get to pick and choose the things that we want to do or not want to do, the religious traditions that we like, the teachings that we like. And so if Jesus says, turn the other cheek, we say, oh, I like that. I'll, I'll have that a part of my faith. Or if we say, or if we hear Buddha taught withdraw from materialism or Hindus offer to the next life uh, is based upon what you do in this one or the New Age claim that we can find the divine within ourselves, we become a society. And many of you know people like this. We become a society. Maybe you're even here today and you've never really thought about it, that we pick and choose. And it's like going through the spiritual buffet line. We say, I'll have this, I'll have this, but I would not like this. I don't want this. And we put a conglomeration together. And that conglomeration does not reflect the true message of Christmas at Christmas time. It doesn't reflect Christ coming and to us and giving us his truth and Jesus being that truth for us. Instead, it says we can discover and embrace our own truth. It'd be a little bit like if you got sick and decided you wanted to diagnose yourself and decided you wanted to go and just buy whatever medication you could or whatever prescriptions you could have access to and just started throwing some of those on board because it's what you think you should do. Or a little bit like if you were set up to build a bridge and you just decided, you know, these are the things that I want to follow instead of following the rules and the laws of society or, or of the laws of physics that would build a bridge. It would be a little bit like saying, you know what, I, I, I like heaven, but I don't like hell. Much like, you know, I like the United States, but I don't like Canada. So there is no Canada. Let's just say that. There's no Canada. I've never been there. I've never seen it. So let's just not say it's there. It, it, that, that just doesn't fit. That's the same sort of thing as society we are doing where we are saying, you know what, I don't believe in hell, I'll just take the heaven. And, and, and yet, I know I'm not preaching to many people in here who maybe think that, although I know there's some in here who we've gone down that road, you're there. But here's who I am speaking to, because understand this. Christians who would never say that biblical truth is subject to their truth may live as though it is. We might not say that we go ahead and we pick and choose the things of Jesus or we pick and choose some other parts of our society and secular and other religions, but we may live as though we do. Do we live as though we're practical atheists six days a week, but then celebrate as though, no, I'm a Christ follower on just the seventh? Do we live as though we don't follow the traditions of the Christian faith or even the Christmas message, but then at Christmas time we fall right in line with them? Pastor A.W. Tozer said it like this, again, a number of years ago, a number of, of, of decades ago, said religion today is not transforming people. Rather, it's being transformed by the people. 
He says, not raising the moral level of society. It is descending to society's own level and congratulating itself that it has scored a victory because society is smiling and accepting its surrender. And we can get upset about that because I know many of you do not live that way. But understand this. We cannot teach and preach that, you know, we need to put Christ in Christmas if we don't put Christ in Christianity. If we don't, we can't go around and share with everybody, put Christ in Christmas, he's the reason for the season, if we don't put Christ in our Christian walk, our daily living in what we do. Let me remind you, when Jesus spoke in Matthew 5.14, saying, you are the light of the world, that wasn't you are a light of the world. He said you are the light of the world. His presence living inside of you, Christian, is the light that is shared with the world around us. And so that's the message that comes to us. When we open up God's word and we see in Luke chapter 2 that the shepherds heard from the angels. They were specifically chosen from the angels to be the ones to hear it first and to go and then share even as they saw the Christ child to leave rejoicing and praising God. In fact, if you have your Bibles, look again in Luke chapter 2. It's on your outline as well. We'll put it up on the screen. But let me read those words again that Caitlin shared with us. Verse 10. The angel said to them, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for how many of the people? All the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord. He goes on to say, this will be assigned to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, and suddenly, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God. And here's what he said. Would you read this with me again? Read it. Go. Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now what's interesting is that this message of peace bypassed the religious leaders. I, I mean, they had missed it for so long. Jesus didn't come or, or God didn't reveal the message of Jesus directly to the educated, directly to the wise, directly to the, those in charge and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders. He, he didn't share it with them at this time. He had already given it to Isaiah the prophet to share with them. Many of them have rejected. Many hadn't listened, hadn't learned, hadn't seen when it was coming. But, oh, Isaiah laid some hints. He laid some clues. In fact, if you have your Bibles, if you want to jump back over to the book of Isaiah, let's look. Let's, let's do a little bit of uh, detective work in this. Because in Isaiah chapter 11, we see some interesting words and interesting prophecies being set up. Look at what Isaiah says. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, says it like this. It says, uh, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse... From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. What's happening here? God is saying, I have not forgotten you, my people. The, the, the chosen one is coming. The one who's going to save you from, his sin, from your sins. That Messiah is coming. And that Messiah is coming through the line of Jesse. The Jewish people would know who that is. One of the 12 tribes. They would have known that if they would have just held on to that. Now, some did. But many missed it. 
It goes on to say in verses 2 and 3, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Now this fear is not an afraid type of fear, but it's a holy reverence. It's an awe, it's a wonder, it's a filled reverence for God that's being talked about here. Second part of three. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. In other words, this one coming will not judge as humans judge, but he will judge fairly. Boy, in a society and a culture where we hear so many different ways that things happen with people, and when we fear the unfairness that happens, when we hear about that unfairness, and maybe feeling like those in authority don't do it the correct way, this is saying, oh no, this will be done fairly, and the one who is coming will do it right. Look at verse 4. It says, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Check this out. There will never again be heard the words, that's not fair. Think about that at Christmas time. Certain kids get certain things and others don't get others. Or maybe someone's playing with something and you wanted it and such. And you say, that's not fair. And that's not just for little kids. That's for us big kids as well, right? We go through life and we, we experience those things. And we say, you know what? That sickness that happened to, to my aunt or my uncle. There's sickness that maybe happened to me and it didn't happen to someone else. Why did I have to go through that and they didn't? That's not fair will disappear from the language. Look at verse 5. It says, Righteousness will be his belt, faithfulness the sash around his waist. In other words, there will be no corruption in this ruler. And he's going to end all conflict as well. Look at verse 6. Says the wolf will live with the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. All right, let me do a little Discovery Channel moment on you here. If you get a Christmas card that has a lion and a lamb on it that are lying down together, That's okay, nice picture, you can smile at it, but know that it's not a biblical reference. Many people have this thought, the lion and the lamb, they lie down together. We've even sung about the lion and the lamb. It's not referring to this verse of them lying down together. This verse, what does it say here? It's a lamb, but it's also a what? It's a wolf. It's a wolf and the lamb, not the lion and the lamb. Now, Jesus is referred to as a lion in some references. He's also referred to as the lamb of God in other references. But our culture has kind of put that together. But that's not a biblical reference. It's not a biblical picture to have in mind. Scripture calls it the wolf and the lamb will lie down together. And then pairs these other animals to show one day they won't be enemies. One day they won't try and be animalistic and eat one another. One One day they will gather together. This week I became familiar with an interesting website called Unlikely Friendships. And uh, these pictures are not photoshopped. These are all legit pictures. Go ahead and uh, show that first picture there. Um, 
These are pictures of these unlikely friendships that animals have joined together with. So here you see you know, a little monkey and a bird. Um, go ahead and uh, go there. Um, there's an ape truly tending and loving and taking care of a white lion cub or white uh, light, uh, excuse me, white lion cub. Um, is that a tiger or a lion? That's what I thought. <laughs> you knew that. You knew that. Go ahead. Now, most of the time in this day and age, that tiger is smelling bacon about this time, right? (laughs) But not in the time to come. Not in the time when the wolf and the lamb lie down together, as Isaiah predicted. Go ahead and and, uh, show the next one there. Um, Go ahead. There's a mouse and toad go ahead now now this is this kind of interesting that sloth looks as happy as it can be and that cat looks as annoyed as it can be am i right about that right right and then this next one is very interesting here you have there's the lion that's what i was thinking of the lion the king of the jungle and here you have this little what is it a dotson a wiener dog um that's right there you, you can go online, you can see some of those pictures, and, and you know, just, just unlikely relationships, unlikely friendships that these animals have joined in together with. For one, now, you don't often see them, they're, they're unlikely, but this scripture is predicting at the end of time, animal will not be animalistic, it will not eat one another. In fact, it goes on, and it talks about there will be no more pain, even from animals to humans, or um, animal to animal, or human to human. Look at what it says here in verse 8 and 9. It says, the infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. I love what Max Lucado says about this. He says, um, there will be no more aspirin. There will be no more chemo. There'll be no more surgery. There'll be no more divorce. There'll be no more jail. There'll be no more wheelchairs. They'll be gone. In fact, I think I saw Dean over here. Dean and Michelle and Marty. Next Sunday, we're going to hear from Dean and Michelle and Marty. Many of you know Dean Dorman's story in an auto accident uh, uh, about a year and a half ago, a little over a year and a half ago. And many of you have been praying for them. If you've been involved in women's ministry, you probably uh, heard some of Michelle's story and sharing that. But we're going to have them share with us this next Sunday when we combine our services at 930 and 1115 here in this building uh, to hear what God is doing in their midst and to hear the new ministry that Michelle shell has birthed out of this and you just look at these kinds of pains and these ailments and these things that we go through um i I shared there'll be no more canes in the eight o'clock service i think i heard about 10 amens going on there as they raised up their canes you know just saying yes no more no more of that will come about now watch what else will be eliminated this might be a surprise there'll be no more religion Huh, watch this next verse. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. 
The earth will already be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. We don't have to tell one another about it. We don't have to have a go-between sharing it, but we can just know that. In fact, Jeremiah says it very well in Jeremiah chapter 31. He says, no longer will one teach their neighbor or say to another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins. How long? No more. Amen. Amen. That's coming. The religion will be done away with because it won't be about a religion. It will be all about a relationship. And we know this here at First Baptist, that that's what we already know we have because Jesus came the first time. We no longer called a religion. We called a relationship. But understand that Isaiah is now shouting out, skipping over even Jesus. Well, he's sharing about Jesus when he comes. But he's not only talking about the first advent. He's talking about the second one, the one that is forevermore. He's talking about the time that Jesus will come again for us. In fact, some of you have tuned into this, but during this Christmas season, you hear these songs, and the songs, many of them, are not talking about Jesus coming that first time. They're talking about when the Messiah comes the second time. The Hallelujah Chorus is one of those. If you've heard that played, Handel's Messiah, listen to the words. It says, For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah, hallelujah, goes on to say, the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. We just sang that song, a different version of that today, and he will reign forevermore, forevermore. That's not talking about Jesus coming the first time. That's Christmas. Okay, it's a Christmas song because it ties in there. That's him coming the second time. Look at some of the familiar Christmas carols that you've heard. Even some of these songs are out in our secular world. People don't know the meaning behind this. Watch this one. The poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, right? After his son. You know when he wrote this song? He wrote this song after his son was severely wounded in the Civil War. And the same year that his wife died accidentally in a house fire. And he's grieving, and it happens to be Christmas Day. And as he's grieving, he writes these words. He writes the words, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar carols play. And wild and sweet the words repeat, of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It says, and in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mock the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. But he says, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. That's the second, that, that is second Advent words if I've ever heard it. Joy to the world, one of our favorite songs at Christmas time. Remember the words, that, joy to the world, joy to the world, Jeremiah was a bullfrog, was a friend of mine. No, no, that's not it, okay. <laughs> We've heard that one though, right? Okay. 
Some of you, some of you are like, I have no idea what that is. What are you talking about? Try this one, though. Joy to the world. Look at the words and what they say. Joy to the world. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow. That is second advent words. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as, far as the curse is found. Yes, we live in a cursed world now. Yes, we've set that into motion. Yes, our sins have done that. But the Messiah is coming a second time. And when that Messiah comes, Alzheimer's will not win out. Radiation will not win out. I think of a couple people even right now who are in hospitals. I've been in contact with one um, gal in our church who has a sister um, who is in a hospital over in San Francisco. And she's experiencing so much uh, 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 of trouble and, and, and hardships in her life because of the cancer that has taken on her body and, and some, some, some things with her legs and the doctors cannot figure out what's going on and how do they help her. And we've been praying for her. If you're on the prayer chain, you know you've been praying for this family. Just yesterday as well, I got an email from another family. They said, Pastor Bad, you probably don't remember us, but we sat way, way, way up at the top. And I'm scratching my head and I'm thinking they said, uh, they said we were the family that you introduced yourself you said, hey, would you like to come down closer? They said, no, we're not feeling well because my uh, fiancé is having chemotherapy. And we can't get, be around people. So that's why we're sitting upset. I said, no problem, no problem at all. And she said, pray for us because we're over here at Stanford. We're having more treatments. They haven't gone as well as the first round. The second round has just been hurting us more and more. We won't be there tomorrow, she said, but we'll be whist- listening online. So, Chrissy, I want you to know we are praying for you. We're praying for you. And just know. When the time comes and Jesus comes back again, no more sickness, no more curse, no more wolf against the sheep, but together, harmony, unity. And the script will be flipped. There'll be a change in the ending. God will come. God will come again. When he came that first time, yes, there were many who missed it. When he came that first time, yes, the common folk grabbed on because the shepherds shared with them. But there were still many who didn't see it. There were still many who bypassed it. There were still many who just went along their way. And I wonder, I wonder if you were one of them. If you would have heard God's spirit speak to you. And change the story. And change the ending. As will be changed for us when he comes again. About a week and a half ago, our First Baptist Christian School did their Christmas musical up here on the stage. And there, there were hundreds of kids up here on the stage singing. It was a wonderful, wonderful time. And it, uh, it reminded me of um, a magazine article I had read a number of years ago that this one magazine credits as a true story. Let me just share it with you and read parts of it with you. It was about a little boy named Wally Perlang. It said, Wally was a second grader, but he really should have been in the fourth grade. Um, He was nine years old, kind of big, kind of slow, but Wally was very well liked by the other kids in his class. And it came time for the Christmas pageant, and 
Wally told the teacher, Miss Lombard, I'd like to be a shepherd this year so that I can play my plastic flute for Jesus. But her teach, uh, his teacher, Wally, uh, Miss Lombard, told Wally, you know, we have a more important role for you this year. We want you to be the innkeeper. The teacher in her mind had it down that the innkeeper only had a line or two so Wally wouldn't mess up those lines. Let's have him be the innkeeper this year. And so it happened, the magazine article says, that the people of the church gathered for the Christmas pageant. The kindergartners were all slipping through their halos as they always did. The preschoolers squeaked away in the manger so high that some of the neighborhood dogs began to bark. But no, more, no one was caught up more in the magic of the night than Wally Perlang. For when the time came, Joseph appeared, slowly, tenderly, guiding Mary to the door of the inn. And Joseph knocked. And Wally stepped out on cue, saying, What do you want? Swinging the door open and saying his line nervously as he looked straight ahead. Uh, we seek lodging, said Joseph. Seek it elsewhere, said Wally. The inn is full. Joseph said, oh, we have asked everywhere. and We've traveled far and near. We're very weary. Wally looked stern and said, there is no more room in this inn for you. Joseph put his arm around Mary. Please, good innkeeper, this is my wife, and she is heavy with child. She needs a place to rest. Surely you'll have some small corner for her. And for the first time, the article says, Wally the innkeeper relaxed his stiff stance, and he looked down at Mary. And there was a long pause, long enough to cause a little bit of embarrassment in the congregation. They didn't know what was going to happen yet, next. And off the side of the stage, the prompter whispered from the wings, No! Be gone! Your line is no! Be gone! Wally stepped back into character and said, No! Be gone! And Joseph sadly put his arm around Mary, and the two of them started moving away. And Wally just stood there watching from the doorway. Then something happened. There became tears in Wally's eyes. And suddenly, this Christmas pageant became different than all the others. Wait! said Wally as he blurted it out. Don't go, Mary and Joseph. And his face broke into a wide smile. And he said, come on in. You can have my room. The people thought that was the most meaningful pageant of all. And my question to us today is this. We know how the script is going to be flipped at the end of time. We know we've heard the story. We know Jesus came to make that change, and we know he's coming back to do the same thing. But my question is, as we live between the first advent and the second advent, are you about that peace on earth now? Are you about creating a different ending of the story? Are you about making a change when the world says, no, be gone, that you say, yes, you can have my room. You can have my heart. See, the peace on earth, the peace on earth begins with us. 
It doesn't begin with organized religion. It doesn't begin with taking little bits and pieces of different religions and putting it in a place of thinking we have it all down. No, it begins by us accepting this one Jesus into our lives and into our hearts so that when God's people need help with one another, so that when God is asking us to take a step of faith so that when God is coming in and invades our lives, we don't just say, great, I'll keep this for a one day a week, Sundays, that's all I'll do. Great, I'll keep this Christmas time and we'll go on Christmas Eve, but that's all really we'll do. Well, we'll come back for Easter Sunday and we'll just go a couple times a year. No. It's about flipping that script. It's about making it an everyday experience. It's about God saying, would you move? Yes, I move. Would you serve? Yes, I'll serve. Would you give? Yes, I'll give. Would you be my hands and feet to the world? Yes, I will be your hands and feet. Will you be the light that shines through? Yes. Yes. And I pray we would be a church that would be about flipping that script, awaiting when Jesus will come again. That second advent, when everything gets changed, and when he calls us home, when Christmas comes to end, because Christ will be with us forever. Amen? Let's pray. God, I thank you for the opportunity we have to profess your name for the opportunity we have to share the message that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is here, that Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit, is in us, Emmanuel, God in us. God, I thank you that we have one eye on the first advent, But, Lord, we can also keep an eye on that second advent. And even as we as a congregation have lit those candles that signify the hope and the love and the joy and today the peace, that, Lord, tomorrow night as we light that Christ candle, that it will be in place, not just one night a year, but it will be in place for all of our lives 365 days a year, 24-7, that it won't just be something we compartmentalize, but God, it would be what we are all about. Folks, maybe you're here today and you've never really put that story together, that Christmas is God becoming one of us, his child, his son, having all the irradiance, the exact elements, substance in this little one. God becoming one of us. 100% God, 100% man. The exact representation of the radiance of God as it says in Hebrews. God, here he is. A child born unto us. Lord, we celebrate that. We rejoice in that. And folks, today, if today is your day to say, you know what? I want to bow the knee to him. Today's the day I want to say yes to him. Today's the day that I want to have Christmas in my life all the time, every day of the year. Then would you just, in your own heart, just pray now, just say, God, there is room in my heart. You can have my heart. You can have my room. I invite you in as Lord and Savior. God, I know that I'm a sinner. God, I know that um, I've not done things right. I ask for forgiveness of that. I turn. Today is the day I choose to follow you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for what that means. 
It means a renewed heart, regenerated spirit, a spirit that is alive, and a spirit that has you now living inside of us. Folks, if that's your decision today, I pray that you would come seek me after the service or one of our other uh, staff members here or even out at the information area. We would love to share with you more about what that decision means and the steps that you can take to live out that faith, not just one day a week, not just one day, even a year, or one or two times that we go on special holidays, but something that really makes a difference and allows us to be that light of the world. Lord, thank you for what that means. Thank you for your spirit, a part of us, God with us. We love you, and it's in the name of Jesus that we pray.